Rosie and Bill Show wish to thank our primary sponsors, The Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. Anthony DiCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. And what upsets me are all the changes they keep making to Barbie. But not the change that needs to be made. Barbie's my age. I want to see menopause Barbie. With saggy breasts and chin hair. Pull her chin hair and her boobs pop up. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show. Our guest this week is a Hall of Fame college athlete, a hilarious comedian, and a cancer survivor. She spent her life bringing joy to other people, and funny just seems to follow her. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show, comedian Karen Mills. Hi, Karen. So nice to meet you. Hello. So nice to meet you, too. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, Karen, it is our pleasure. We've got a lot that we're going to cover tonight. In fact, I've kind of divided it into what we call, let's say, the four H's. Hoops, humor, hope, <laughs> and hero. So we're going to hopefully get to all four before we're done. And I'd like to start with hoops. And before we talk about your great career, I just want to mention to the folks watching that two of the three boxes you're looking at right now have Hall of Fame level basketball talent at one point in their career in them. This one does not. However, but for two little things, I could have been dribbling and the inability to tackle on the court. Had I been able to do either or both of those things, I could have joined the other two boxes on a wall or hall of fame. With that being said, Karen, when did it all start on the court for Little Mills? Oh, wow. I started a long time ago. I, um, I, for as long as I have a memory, I played basketball. I played all sports. I mean, my dad uh, was a pitcher in the army. My mom played sports. I mean, we were a sports family. And I, um, in the third grade, we used to have kindergarten through eight and nine through 12. We didn't have a middle school. So um, the older kid, the older girls, uh, seventh and eighth graders, I would stay after school every day and go to practice, but the coach wouldn't let me scrimmage with the other girls because I was in third grade. So I would stay after school every day and just work on uh, ball handling drills on the side of the court every day and um, and just go like I was one of the girls. And I practiced there. <laughs> My mom would pick me up late and uh, after practice. And uh, and then in the fifth grade, I started being able to I, I actually was starting for the seventh and eighth grade team. And <laughs> and. Uh, you know, when I moved on to high school, my high school coach was Jim Smitty, who is uh, in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, the big one. He's one of the winningest coaches in history on any level. And uh, he was very much a role player type of coach. And he told me when I came, he said, I'm afraid you're just going to be too small. And but those ball handling skills that I had been working on since third grade served me well. My job was to feed the ball to Data. Data was our 6'3 center. And back then, 6'3 was tall. 
And so every day I'd feed the ball to data and he would still make me stay after school and make 250 shots where I could go home. And I never understood why I had to stay and shoot when I didn't even hardly ever shoot in a game. Well, then fast forward to the finals of state championship, 1976, there's three seconds on the clock and we were down by one. And the game plan was to get the ball to data and for her to take the shot. I inbounded the ball to Data. She was double teamed. She flipped the ball back to me, and I hit the shot at the buzzer to win the state championship. <laughs> but it was the perfect example of preparation meeting opportunity. You know, he knew, I'd like to say, I knew my time would come, so I stayed after school every day, and I made those shots. No, he knew the time was going to come when she was going to be double teamed, and he was going to make sure that I was ready. So then when I went on to college, I played at UT Chattanooga, and I led the nation in assists in 1980. Um, and that, you know, it, it was like... A, my whole life, I was being prepared for the next step and that early ball handling, being made to uh, to feed the ball to somebody else and then going on to college. And that being the thing that elevated me was my ball handling and passing. So, you know, that's kind of how it rolled. And uh, and everyone thought that I would coach, but I just didn't love coaching the way I love playing. And I kind of floundered for a few years and finally found my way to comedy. You know, it's interesting that you say you just kind of took to it and you just practice. And it sounds like you had this burning desire just to do it. And not everybody has that. I mean, for me, I'll be honest with you, I loved playing basketball, but I also played hockey and I played softball and and I kind of wanted to have fun, you know, so I didn't have that that discipline, that that narrow tunnel vision on I'm going to be the best at this sport that I can be, you know, has that transferred into your comedy? Um, well, and I did also play softball and volleyball and I played whatever sport was in season, but, um, but there wasn't as much opportunity for softball as there is now colleges didn't have right. it. But anyway, uh, basketball was kind of my, my thing, but, um, but has it, what it, what is transferred into, uh, everything I've done is, you're too short. You can't do this. This is too hard or whatever with comedy, whether it's sports, it doesn't matter what it, whether it's with cancer, you know, ovarian cancer is a tough one, but I immediately thought, how do I get to the other side of this? I've got to, you know, I've got to get this done, whatever it is so that I can move on with my life. So everything I see is a challenge. And with comedy, um, I, I didn't really, I always performed and as, and this was really hard for me to admit um, that I realized that even as a player, I was a performer because I'd rather make a great pass as to score a layup because that's what got the crowd going. And so that, that felt kind of cocky or something. And I, and I hated, I, I had a hard time admitting that, but the truth is that's who I am. I am a performer. And so uh, I used to, I, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life after I knew it wasn't coaching, I, I used to see comics on Johnny Carson and I would think, I really think I could do that. And I finally got the courage to go to the punchline in Atlanta. I was living in Atlanta at the time and uh, I got up 
and um, did open mic. And the manager said, you have the stage presence, you have the delivery, but you've got to learn to write your own material because I had no idea. All I knew how to do is tell a joke joke. And so uh, I took a writing class and then I went back uh, to the punchline for another open mic. And uh, and from that, he hired me to open and I started just kind of moving through the ranks. But that's been 30 years ago. It wasn't it took a while, but um but that's kind of how it all happened. And, you know, my very first paying job opening was at the punchline for Henry Cho. Huh. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. you've yeah. also played at the Opry as Henry Cho has. What was that like for you? Oh, it was incredible. I, I Well, first of all, I have to tell you how I was I got to play on it. Daly and Vincent, bluegrass duo. Um Jamie Daly messaged me on Instagram late one night and said, I hear you on XM radio and I love your comedy and I'd love to have you on my segment of the Grand Ole Opry. And I thought, oh yeah, right. Who's this? I, you know, I didn't even think it was, <laughs> it was real. I thought somebody's just messing with me. And so then I found out, yes, it was Jamie, Day Jamie Daly, Daly and Vincent, the Grammy award-winning uh, bluegrass duo. And so, uh, he said, send me your stuff. I, I, I just think you're really funny. And uh, so I sent it to him. And literally four weeks later, I was on the Grand Ole Opry. Were and, you nervous? I know you're a performer, but were you oh, nervous? I was a wreck. I was a wreck. And to think about going out into that circle, that mm -hmm. it, the center of the Grand Ole Opry, which was part of the original Ryman and everyone from Elvis and Dolly, everybody stood in that circle, all the great Johnny Cash. And just to, to be out there, I was a wreck. I was the most nervous I've ever been. And, but I tell you what blew me away about the Grand Ole Opry is from the time I got there, first of all, for your debut, they have a sign that says Karen Mills parking. Oh, hmm. I mean, from the security guard, when you drive through the uh, guard shack to time you get to the stage, every person in there goes, we're rooting for you. Way to go. You can do it. Congratulations. There's more ego in a comedy club green room than there was at the Grand Ole Opry. Wow. It, it was a phenomenal experience the support and how people rooted for each other, that people leave their dressing room doors open and, you know, congratulate you, wave to you. I mean, it was really, it was really incredible. We've heard that from, from so many comedians and also, you know, country musicians that have played there, Karen, and it just does seem like a brotherhood and sisterhood, but I can't help but think that, you know, you, you were born and raised in Tennessee and, you know, we're in suburban Philadelphia. And we have a lot of reverence for the Opry, but that must have added to it. You're there in Tennessee at the Opry. My goodness, amazing. Well, and and the other part of that is, you know, my mom has always just loved the Opry so much. And so, and, and she wasn't mobile enough to be able to go. And I set her up on the radio uh, I had to set up her iPad and and make sure she could hear it on her headphones and got her all squared away. And so what it was a thrill for me because I knew what a thrill for her it was, in addition to just being a thrill anyway. So, yeah, being in Tennessee, being in Nashville, growing up uh, with the Grand Ole Opry, it, it was it was really special and still is. Any, any, I've done it now eight times and um, 
and I never walk out on that stage and take it for granted. It's it's really a beautiful experience. I wonder how your mom felt after hearing her baby mm-hmm. on the radio at the Grand Old Opry. Yeah, she was pretty filled with pride. And my mom is very proud anyway. I tell the story about that last shot from uh, when I hit the last shot in the state tournament. And <laughs> and I, I mean, for years, I did not want to get on an elevator if someone else got on it, if my mother was <laughs> on that elevator. Because I'm not kidding, 20 years later, someone could get on and she'd say, hmm, well, where's your next comedy show? And I might say, like, Phoenix. And she'd go, oh, yeah, Phoenix. That's that's about 2,000 miles from where you hit the last shot win state championship in 1970. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the picture of the last shot was the wallpaper in my parents' den. So, yes, she was... She was so proud and and that just made me so happy to be able for her to um experience that with me did you do the bit about getting knocked in the head (laughs) of course that was that was jamie's only condition with me coming on now you have to do knocked in the head so yes i did knocked in the head oh my god and 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 was your mom worried that night at that first night at the opry that that might happen (laughs) <laughs> she she's such a good sport. She she's she's she thinks it's she but when I say um I tell her that I do the bit and she says, Well, I don't see anything funny about getting knocked in the head. And <laughs> she still feels that way. She says, I still don't want what everybody's laughing at. <laughs> well, that's why it's funny because it's true. I, I remember years ago there was gonna be some meteor show happening, and my boyfriend and I at the time decided we were gonna go at three in the morning up to this Vista and, and watch the meteor shower. And my mom was like, well, be careful. (laughs) Like, be careful. What do you think they're going to fall out of the sky and come on at us? It's a mama thing. (laughs) You never know. Well, Karen, Karen, one thing I'm curious about is because we've had some incredible comedians like yourself on, and, and it's always interesting to hear one aspect, let's say of your development is finding your voice. And it's it's really cool to hear how, you know, different folks have talked about the way and the time it took to. So how long would you say it took you to really find your voice as a comedian? Still looking for it. Um, I'm, I'm still, you know, I didn't have it for the first half. I mean, for, I think it took me 20 years, honestly. Wow. Uh, because I was, uh, I was funny. I could I could take something and I can make an audience laugh. That was never really, um, you know, I never had a lot of heckling. I, I mean, I had shows where I bombed, but it wasn't, um, you know, I was pretty consistently did well. Even if I didn't kill, I did well enough that it didn't feel like a bad show or anything. But, um, but it was uh, too jokey. You know, a, a lot of it was just... Um, because I wasn't really as authentic as I needed to be. And you can't find your voice until you're truly 100% who you are. And, I, I tell you, and I so uh, as I aged and as I got smarter and stopped worrying about um, what everyone else thought and, uh, and realized that your audience finds you, you can't be so vanilla that you just try to please everybody because you can't no matter what, you know, you could say, 
I love puppies. And somebody's going to say, well, what about kittens? I mean, don't you love kittens? Well, it's not, you know, you could do a joke about the Wizard of Oz and somebody will say, my mother was killed by a house. How could you say that? You know, so you just can't, you know, you just have to realize that that you've got to be yourself. You've got to be authentic. And that's when you find your voice. What's your writing process like? You know, so much of my material, well, first of all, it's just like I do material on cancer. It doesn't matter. It, it, my life experience is everything comes from that, whether it's something that happens at the grocery store or going through cancer. I also went through a serious car accident. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, it was, it was tough, but uh, I always am able to find the humor in it. That is just, I think, a coping skill that I, that I have. And, um, and it helps other people that are going through hard times. So I, I feel um, blessed that I'm able to bring humor to difficult situations, but, um, but, you know, a lot of my funniest stuff comes from being with friends and something will be said, and then I'll, it, it'll just kind of keep going because, uh, and then I, you know, if it makes us laugh, you know, my group of friends or whoever it is, it's going to make other people laugh. They're going to relate also 90% of the time. So a lot of times I always say, I'm not even the funniest person in my friend group. I mean, they're so much funnier. And I have uh, friends that I call and go, do you think this is funny? And then we'll kind of talk through it. And the next thing you know, I, you know, I, I have great a different direction maybe than how I was thinking or, um, you know, it, it just, it just, uh, spurs the creativity. So I get a lot just from having fun. Right. Do you travel around with your phone and record into it or do you write? Because I know sometimes when I'm doing something, I'll think, Oh, I'll remember that. And then it goes out of my head. At in the last 10 years used to, I could remember that. If I thought of something in the middle of the night, I'd remember it the next morning. Now, if I don't write it down, forget it. So I do some voice memo and I also do some just in my notes. And, um, but I'm always kind of just processing. A lot of people are always surprised that I'm a comedian because out in life, I'm not like, I've never been like a clown or always on, always having to make people laugh. And so uh, many people will, I mean, like neighbors that lived by me didn't know. And they'll go, oh my gosh, you're a comedian. You're the last person I would have thought would have been a comedian. <laughs> because I'm very, I, I'm I'm quiet. And a lot of times I'm always more worried about if the animals have water, whatever <laughs> if people are taking care of, you know, uh, their pets. And I, I just worry about things. I'm very introspective. And so I, I'm just not always just, you know, it's just not always obvious. I'm not Robin Williams and for many reasons, but you know how he was just, of course he had his dark side, but, um, but to answer your question, a lot of people are surprised, but I'm always, always thinking a lot of times I'm observing what's going on and not participating in it. So. Karen, one of the other attributes that I think you have is, is the the ability to overcome adversity. And you kind of mentioned earlier, people said, oh, you're you're not tall enough or you're not funny enough, whatever the case may be. And, you know, in 2013, you mentioned the ovarian cancer. You go in for a routine checkup and you're pretty much hit with the ultimate curveball uh, as a result of that checkup. But I'm wondering, where did you draw the strength from? to handle things the way that you did, even up to and including this day when you have fun and make jokes about it, like a very serious, you know, difficult battle that you fought through with such strength. 
You know, as I said, I think uh, I think I always turn to humor as a as a coping skill, and um, and I also just always think it's going to be okay. I don't know where that comes from. I mean, I just always believe it it'll be all right, and I'll get on the other side of it. You know, the day my uh, doctor told me um, there was cancer, my first response was not, oh no, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? It wasn't that at all. It was just, okay, how do we get on the other side of it? What is the quickest point between getting it and getting rid of it? Because that's the path I want to take. So let's, let's do this. Let's move forward. I got to get on my life. And so I can't sit in this. Mm. So, you know, that, that's just kind of where I always come from. And when someone says you're too small, that's just, that's, that's, I just knew in my heart, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't even like that makes me angry. So I'm going to show you, it wasn't even that as much as it was. Um, I just knew you were wrong. <laughs> well, and, and you know, it's funny, Karen, because one of the things that, that I've often said when people have said that similar types of things to me is that I don't necessarily uh, want to prove that I'm right as much as I want to prove that they're wrong. Uh, you know, in certain situations, and they kind of go together uh, if if you approach it the right way. Right, right, exactly, and uh, and just just a belief in myself. I've always, I've always wanted the ball. You know, I I've never hid from it. So if we had, if we're down to the wire on anything in life, really, give me the ball, because. I have, it doesn't always work out. I've made tons of mistakes and I, you know, that's like six times in my career. I took last shots, three of them. I hit three. I didn't, but I still always on the ball. You know, I love that Karen, because that's, that's like just a fearless mentality and a, and a deep core belief and confidence in yourself. And I think faith as well. Yes. I mean, I, I do. And, and I, and I believe in what I feel in my gut. I really try to follow that as best I can. And I've always, you know, felt that I had, I've always wanted to fly or die by my own choices, by my own, uh, you know, by me taking the shot or me, uh, if I didn't make it in basketball, it wasn't going to be because you told me that I couldn't. I'm always going to go down swinging. So I don't always succeed, but I would rather try and fail as to not. And that sounds so cliche, but it's the truth. I just would I would just rather give it a whirl as to let you decide my fate. Definitely. And for what, it's, had, for what it's worth, you 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 made three out of six, Karen. I mean, basically, that's, you know, shooting 50 percent in the NBA or betting 500 in baseball. You're making millions of dollars. That's that's really good. <laughs> well, but the, the point is, though, there, the, half the time I, it didn't work out. But that that didn't the fear of it not working out did not keep me from wanting to do it. That's what yeah. I guess that's the, yeah. Point. the yeah. point. Yeah. Did you have you had? many women or people in general come up to you and say, Karen, you really inspired me. I have cancer and it helped me to get through. I, it's almost constant. 
with uh, not not just coming up to me. A lot of people do come up to me. Well, especially if I do like a comedy with a message kind of event. You know, I do a lot of that. Uh, sometimes in my regular stand-up show, I don't do cancer. A lot of times I do, but I don't always. But anytime I address it, uh, yes, there's always numerous people. And I'm messaged all the time on social media uh, thanking me for uh you know, helping them, inspiring them to reminding them how healing humor is. Um, the first thing my doctor said to me when I was diagnosed is I don't care who it is, get negative people out of your life so that you can heal. He said, it's as important to your recovery as surgery and chemotherapy is staying positive and, uh, and keeping a sense of humor. And uh, I just believe that. That is oh so true. And that that's a message right there. I think, you know, you, you talked about social media and messages. I think I may clip this last 60 seconds out that, of what you just said. And in addition to this episode, I may repeat that a thousand times over the next couple of years, because I think that's a message everyone needs to hear in terms of getting the negative, getting the negativity gone. That's uh, right. Focusing on the positive. It's a yeah. great message. And I, I I feel like negativity is its own disease, <laughs> and, it is. and it and it afflicts everyone around it. You know, any a person that is just always dwelling on that. I mean, it is it is a, a cancer to me. It becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Yes, it, that's it, right. Yeah, it it really does. Now, Karen, I just want to switch gears real quick because you know you've been touring successfully for so many years, and many of those years you've been touring with Leanne Morgan, and this year you've been touring a lot together. So what's it like working with her and how have things been going with the tour? Oh, the tour is phenomenal. I mean, that's this, that's a whole, uh, I mean, it has taken on a life of its own, but you know, Leanne and I met in 2004 when we were doing the Southern fried chicks tour and through the years, I mean, we've, We've been friends ever since we did that for a couple of years. And then we did another uh, show called him party. And then we did another uh, tour called country cool comedy tour. And so we did all these comedy tours, but then it's so funny uh, in October of 2019, uh, Leanne called me from Chicago and said, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. She said that she was at Zany's in Chicago and she had sold 20 tickets. And, um, and she said, I'm going to give this, social media guy, the social media manager, and we'll give this one last ditch effort and see if I can get anything going. Well, they start releasing her clips and old people at concerts, the, that clip went, I don't know, 20 million views. And I mean, it has been snowballing at a rate you would not believe. And we have said for years that, this is a demographic that no one pays attention to, and that's women over 40, and uh, and they're now being spoken to, and it is just crazy. We've, we've, we have, uh, see, she's sold out, see, Birmingham Arena, like 4,000, three shows at 4,000 feet. We did Knoxville, 10,000. We, we did, 
I mean, everything, I'm trying to just think of all the different venues we've been to lately and the number of tickets being sold. They constantly add shows because everything's selling out, selling out. So uh, it, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it is incredible. And it's and it's so great. I'm so grateful to be a part of it and to get to go on this ride with her. But from the time it started happening, she said, come on, if you want to go, <laughs> because we talk every day anyway. And so we, we speak to the same demographic and, and it's just been so much fun. And when you're on the road like this, you know, it, you need someone you enjoy because, you know, it gets, it gets taxing all the travel. Definitely. Well, Karen, on behalf of women over 40, thank you so much. Keep doing you and Leanne, keep doing what you're doing. We do need we do need your voice and and something that that we can all relate to. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your life, your inspiration, and keep keep it up because it's it's really bringing a lot of joy to a lot of people. And thank we thank you. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. And folks, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. And I was working in Indiana one time. It was just across the Kentucky line off Interstate 65. And right there is where the time zone changes. And I'd forgotten to ask where my show was, if they were on Central Time or Eastern Time. Well, I'd run into Walmart anyway, so I just grabbed a woman in the store and I said, are you on Central Time or Eastern Time? She said, I don't work here. says very short hair girl walked over to us and said are y'all related and I said no and she said are you sisters <laughs> I said where did I lose you <laughs> this week's episode has been brought to you by Doherty and Company Insurance Services for all your business and personal insurance needs. Our friends at Tennis Addiction in Exton, PA. And the Malin Agency, where exceeding expectations is how they do business. Interested in becoming a partner in positivity? Send us an email, Rosie and Bill Show 2018 at gmail.com.